Hello and welcome to the Classicist Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, here, of course, with Victor Davis Hanson, the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. So, Victor, we turn this week to a very clever column that you've got out focusing on the gap between the sorts of values that progressives espouse and the ones they live by. You have delineated these as the liberal Ten Commandments. So we'll just take each of them in turn and yes. I'll allow you to explain. The first one that you point to, climate change. Well, we know that getting in a uh, jet, even if you're in economy, your percentage of the carbon emissions of that particular flight transatlantic, to take one example, is more than uh, a whole family's recycling that uh, would save recycling for a year. So basically you're saying every time I go to Europe, which is very common among the elite left, I will nullify what a whole family of working class people do by recycling. So we should just say I believe so much in man, human-induced climate change, I promise not to fly for five years. Al Gore could do that very well. and That's not even getting into his private plane, which has a much bigger footprint. But it seems to me if you really believe that there's human-induced climate change and that travel is not essential for your business going to Europe, then you could really cut back and just say once every five years I'm doing my part to lower my footprint. OK. Number two on your list, uh, education, the way that progressives use schools. Explain the hypocrisy there. Well, look at Obama or look at John Kerry or look at Al Gore. Any of them, they all put their children in um, – they're in the nation's capital for the most part, but they, the um, Quaker schools, the private schools, Sidwell Friends especially seems to be the, the preferred. You th you'd say that you think a liberal who doesn't believe in charters, public charter schools or is a big supporters of unions in the public schools would say, well, you know what? I want to I make sure that my children is acculturated to the new reality, so I'm going to put my children in the D.C. public school. I think Amy Carter went to – a public school when Jimmy Carter was president, she seemed to turn out all right. So that would be <laughs> essential, I think, if you were a liberal. The third issue where you find some hypocrisy, one that's been a hot topic lately, guns. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. You just say, you know what, I think that I want to apply the same standards of gun control to my own security details. So if I live on Malibu and my private security guard's going up and down the coast to keep people out of my estate, I want to make sure he's unarmed. Or the Pope who believes that violence is inordinate in the United States should say, I don't want anybody in my security detail with a firearm. Maybe we could say that Barack Obama or any of our senators who have security details, let's go, I don't know, use knives or slingshots or anything other than a gun. <laughs> uh, item number four, illegal immigration. Yeah, we all know that culturation, integration, assimilation, intermarriage is based on uh, demography, and that means you have to have more Americans around a particular immigrant so that he has that opportunity. So it seems to me if you're for open borders, you should say, if Pedro Gomez just came from Oaxaca, I want to make sure that I see him, I want to mentor him, I want to take him out to dinner, I want to take him to a Giants game, I want to really associate with him so I can help him make that transition because I don't want him to be ghettoized or ostracized in a barrio uh, where life will be much more difficult. I want to ease that process of assimilation with my own, you know, my own personal intervention. But I don't want to live in a gated estate. I don't want to just consider him somebody I wave to as he mows my lawn or washes my dishes. 
uh, point five, a related one actually to the immigration discussion, and one you've been writing a lot about lately: sanctuary cities. Yeah, that that's another no-brainer. I mean, if you really do believe that a city like San Francisco or the three hundred and twenty other plus can nullify federal law, then you should say, you know what, those guys up in Montana, they have local laws. When a cattleman sees a grizzly bear or a timber wolf kill a calf, he can shoot him and the local sheriff can say shrug and say stuff happens. So we're not going to enforce a federal endangered species act or people in Utah should have school prayer or people in Fresno should be able to buy handguns without federal worries or federal gun registration laws. They can all be nullified depending on the political climate of each city. Of course, I don't know if they would believe that, but that's the logical trajectory of sanctuary cities. At number six, a big point of discussion since we're now in the era of white privilege and Black Lives Matter, you point to diversity as another example of, of liberal hypocrisy. This seems so central, Victor, though, to the way that progressives identify themselves. How are they hypocritical when it comes to diversity? Well, I don't think they believe it because the wealthy white people I know live with other wealthy white people. And I'm a conservative and I live in an area that's 90 percent Hispanic. I'm not dead yet. I feel happy. But the people I see every day are Punjabis or they're – Native Americans, they're mostly Hispanics, mostly from Mexico or Oaxaca, indigenous people. And it, it seems like that's the way we're supposed to live uh, if you believe in diversity for diversity's sake. So I think Dianne Feinstein and Nancy Pelosi and Barbara Boxer and Barack Obama, all of them, all of these iconic liberals should be make sure they live in mixed race neighborhoods and that they associate with people from different backgrounds. And the Seventh Commandment involves – Voting laws, specifically voter ID requirements. Well, if you say that get, having to show a driver's license, to take one example, is somehow bigoted or biased or a proof of prejudice in voting, in either registering to vote or showing up at the polls to vote, then to put your money where your mouth is, you say this is a burden, and I don't believe that voting is any more any less important than buying something in a department store. So I'm never going to show my ID. And so when I get on a plane, I'm going to say to the uh, federal marshal, just as I don't think you should have to show an ID to vote, I don't think you, I need to show you an ID to get on the plane. And I think people will be perfectly safe without us uh, showing IDs because taking a flight from Fresno to Los Angeles seems to me a much more minor occurrence than voting every four years for president. So if you believe that IDs are bad at the polls, they should be bad everywhere. Number eight the environment. And here I think you were especially thinking of the situation where you are in California with the drought. Yeah, I don't understand that because people who voted to cancel all these water projects themselves, A, are dependent on water projects, especially here in the Bay Area. But then they don't seem to be sacrificing. The San Joaquin Valley has aquifers galore, and yet people are cutting back 35% and they're putting plastic astroturf lawns everywhere over Fresno, Bakersfield, Delano. But here around the Stanford campus, I haven't seen any. And yet they don't have an aquifer. So they're basically telling California, I will use the last drop of imported water before I'll put astroturf on. And they're telling people in Fresno, you have the, your own water for the next thousand years, but don't dare use it all. And I want you to put astroturf uh, lawns. I guess it's a cultural thing. I guess 
if you live in Fresno, you're expected to have plastic grass, and if you live in Atherton, it's gauche. So number, for number nine, we return to education, and you cite the university as another sort of epicenter of progressive hypocrisy. Well, you know, I, I kind of beat that dead horse, but <laughs> the left is so angry about Walmart and Target and the working class, and yet everybody knows that the number, the percentage of units that are taught at public universities, especially in California, by part-time lecturers is about 45%. And it's the same class, and yet a lecture with a PhD is getting about 25 cents on the dollar. So it seems to me that academics should say, you know, I uh, one, I want to make sure that part-time people make exactly what full-time for equal work for equal pay, and then second, I don't want my students paying more than the rate of inflation for a bunch of elites at a university, administrators, full professors. So let's have a liberal bill of rights. Part-time get the same as full-time if they do the same work, and students don't shouldn't have to pay tuition any more uh, than the rate of inflation, the increase. And that would be interesting to see if that could happen. And the, the final area on which these Ten Commandments touch, affirmative action. Well... Everybody wants uh, parity and a quality result and identity politics. And one of the best ways of doing it would be for America's elite who promotes these ideas to say, you know what, I've got so many advantages in my family, money, influence, power, tradition, whatever it is, that I want my child not to apply to a university that takes, say, 10% of its applicants, but takes 90%. So rather than sending Bill or Jane to Stanford, I want to send them to Cal State Fresno. It'll be much fairer. It'll open up a slot from somebody from an unequal opportunity, and um, they can have affirmative action. They go to Stanford. My kids already have affirmative action in multiple multiple ways besides college, and I think they'd be much better at Cal State Sacramento or Turlock and be with the people. That would be a putting your money where your mouth is as far as affirmative action. And also, I would add one last thing. I would say I will never call somebody up at a university or in business or in the corporate world or in academia and say, could you please call somebody at Stanford or Harvard or Yale and get my son or daughter a little extra boost because that would nullify the whole principle of equality of opportunity. Okay, so we take those 10 factors. You you have given us with that, Victor, a pretty comprehensive summary of the progressive worldview. <laughs> so the, the, the question that stems from that, uh, considering how sweeping this indictment is, why do you suspect that this doesn't, this doesn't yield more cognitive dissonance among progressives? Well, there's two reasons, the real reason and the perceived reason. The real reason is I don't think it has anything to do with progressive politics and by that I mean – if I were to walk three blocks from the Stanford campus and talk to a progressive in Silicon Valley and I look at the life they live, the car they drive, the travel, things we outlined in these amendments, then we wouldn't find any difference in their lifestyle than a right-wing nut from, I don't know, Beverly Hills or Palm Springs. So it's about power. It's, a, it's something that you say, that you support. And then you feel good about yourself. You have sort of medieval penance or exemption, but you don't really have to follow it. Just mouthing it makes you feel better than than you otherwise would. Sort of like being in a medieval world and 
you're a sinner, you're a moneylender, and yet you want to go to heaven, so you buy a block on the dome of St. Peter. Same idea. And then, and that explains the hypocrisy. It's a psychological mechanism to gratify your appetites without guilt. And then the, the other thing is I, I really don't think it's sincere. It's about power. These are methodologies, affirmative action, climate change, uh, radical race, class, gender agenda that allow a particular elite group of people to gain power who otherwise might not have. And so uh, if you identify in that particular progressive movement, if you're an author like I am or you're a professor or you're a musician or you're an actor, mouthing these platitudes have career advantages. It's sort of like being in the Soviet Union and saying you're a party member. And so you just know that you're on the right side of all these issues and they're going to have career enhancements for you. But nobody would seriously like me or you, take it seriously. So final question then, if you're not one of those elites, amongst the, amongst the common people, do you think that there is uh, more uh, skepticism or, or, or cynicism about these uh, pretensions? Or there is. is okay. Yes, there is, but with one caveat. In other words, most people understand the hypocrisy involved, but it depends on one's economic uh, status. So I guess I'm saying where I live, if somebody's on food stamps and somebody's here illegally or somebody's on disability insurance, whatever their degree of public support, they say, I don't really care that a bunch of guys in the Bay Area are hypocrites or they drive Mercedes uh, or they jack up my power, or they jack up my uh, fuel or they jack up my tax burden, whatever they do that's not really in my interest. Or they'll, I don't really care if they're doing crazy things like transgendered restaurants because – they're redistributionists and they believe in big government and they're going to hire my cousin at the DMV and they're going to make sure I get expanded uh, food stamps. So they vote for the liberal project in a much more intellectually honest way. It's sort of, I, I don't care about these guys, whether they're hypocrites or not, honest or dishonest, they bring government to me. And I don't, I don't really want to endanger that by making fun of them or saying they're hypocrites. And I, I hear that all the time, by the way. I, I, I know people that I'll say California has the highest power, uh, one of the highest electricity rates, one of the highest gasoline costs, highest tax rates, and yet it has such bad schools and it has such bad infrastructure. Aren't you mad about that agenda? They'll say, no, no, they, they get a lot of stuff. And I can <laughs> see that. So I think that's – we're basically talking about an upper middle class or – middle middle class that feels that progressivism is hypocritical. The wealthy and the poor have no problem with it. All right. That's all the time we have for today. Join us next week for the next installment of the Classicist Podcast. And in the meantime, stop by hoover.org where you can read all of Professor Hansen's commentary. We'll see you back here soon. I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.